0: Hey, Stranger Rangers. This is Bree. This is Patina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back.
1: Welcome back.
0: Yeah, we've been off for two, gosh, two weeks. And for some Ooh. reason, it feels so much longer than that. I think yeah. because you and I have both had our agendas, like, Full, full, completely full. Like every day on my calendar, there has been something written on it for the yeah. last couple of weeks, and it doesn't stop until after our son's birthday next month. And I'm right. dying inside that we almost have a one-year-old. You like less than a month away. It's crazy. Less than a month away. I That's mean, this wild. time. This time last year, I was taking the last pictures that I have of myself
1: pregnant. Right. And it's, he's almost one. That's wild. It's It's so wild. That shows how fast this year went too though. Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) Seriously. And I knew, and I knew that the holiday time, once Thanksgiving started, I knew that it was just going to zip by. Zip by. Yeah.
1: But it's, it's been super busy. We appreciate, um, it's less time than we thought we would take off. Yeah. Um. Off the podcast, so we appreciate you guys. Um. Staying on, and um. Also, you know, I deeply apologize for the whole Spotify mix up, but Mm -hmm. that two weeks also gave you some time to catch up if you were on Spotify um i think we've mentioned it before unbeknownst to us spotify wasn't loading since august so for some people we were missing for months um so and we were never gone so i apologize for that mix up it was just a technology
0: um the downloads
1: yeah. yeah so we we know that your uh phone started downloading them so hopefully that gave you guys some time to catch up and uh and listen to some some backlogged episodes. Yes,
0: <laughs> yeah. an early Christmas present from it us sure to you. It sure was. It sure was. We planned that.
1: Yep, it was uh-huh. intentional. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. So this is before Christmas. Um. So and and Breez, I think, got a two parter for we us. Do. Um, so I know already she's gonna have a cliffhanger, and if yep. I know anything about Bree, it's gonna be a good ass cliffhanger. So
0: <laughs> I am pumped to do this episode. Um, it's crazy. This is actually a story about um, it's a survival story, an attempted murder. Love those. And, um, which I know that we haven't covered a ton of those types of stories. And I was, um, watching TV one day and this story came along and I was like, Holy shit. I have to cover this. Yeah, It's, it's crazy. So yeah, without further ado, uh, we'll just go ahead and jump right into this. Um, Yeah, this is going to be a two-parter. We will probably try to get the second part out to Patreons a little early for a little uh, Christmas gift. Say thank you. But this is the survival story about Brittany Marcel. And this takes place down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh. Which I know we really haven't covered a lot of New Mexico. Cases. Not I know that you did one, and then there was another one you did where the guy maybe ran his way through New Mexico. But uh, yeah, this will be one of our few New Mexico cases yeah. that we've covered. So before we dive into the nitty gritty, I'm just going to tell you guys a little bit about Brittany Marcel. Um, she comes from a family of seven children—well, six girls and one boy. <laughs> it's a big family. It's a big family and that, that poor brother just <laughs> significantly outnumbered by the amount of estrogen flowing through Seriously. that house. But Brittany herself was one of the youngest children. I don't think she was the youngest in the family, but out of the seven, she was one of the youngest Um, Her parents had separated at some point during her childhood. I don't know exactly when that happened, but her parents did separate. And her family describes her as being very disciplined. I mean, Brittany was kind of like, I don't want to say cookie cutter, but she was kind of the daughter that every parent Hopes to have. Sure. She was disciplined, hardworking. She, um, her sisters said that she was genuine in everything that she did. She was an excellent student and had a good circle of friends. And to top all of that off, she was like strikingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. She had these bright blue eyes, just this huge, huge smile. And she was such a good student. In fact, that she was even on pace to graduate high school early.
1: Oh that's so,
0: impressive. Super impressive. I know I work with a girl currently who, um, she was homeschooled a lot in her life, but then did do public school and she graduated high school, like super, super early. And I think that that is such an achievement, yeah. especially when you're homeschooled yeah. because you you just have to have so much self-discipline yeah, and to be do. Driven, You know, yeah. so Brittany definitely fell into that category and she had dreams of studying journalism with the hopes of becoming a local like news reporter in Albuquerque. That was her dream job. But while she was in high school, she, you know, was a normal teenage girl. She had a job at the local Cottonwood Mall where she worked at like one of those little sunglass kiosks okay. yeah. in the middle. So, um, and as most teens do, I know I definitely had this rough patch myself, but Brittany hit a rebellious rough patch during her junior year of high school and even moved out to live with her dad for a while. Oh, okay. So mom and her weren't really seeing eye to eye. She kind of stepped away and went and lived with her dad. But by the start of her senior year, Brittany was really ready to come home mm-hmm. and be with her mom again. Now the day of Brittany's attack um September 11th 2008 and <laughs> Brittany was just beginning her senior year of high school and on this day she had made plans to meet her mom Diane at home for lunch so that they could discuss her moving back home and what all of that would look like and entail. So Brittany's mom is heading to her house and when she arrives home she walks up on a scene that she, could not have dreamed up in her worst nightmare. When her mom walked in, she saw Brittany's um, favorite pair of red sunglasses, first and foremost, laying on the floor in the entryway. And then as she looks even further, she sees Brittany laying on the floor, bleeding severely. Oh, wow. So much blood around her body. And then as this nightmare progresses, Diane then looks up and she sees a stranger standing in her house, holding a shovel
1: oh shit they're still in there
0: still in there oh man the attacker drops the shovel walks across the living room into the kitchen and tells diane that she's next oh fuck as the attacker reaches for a knife and diane just like books it out of the house and runs for her life to her next door neighbor oh shit she tells her neighbor what she, what she just saw, and this brave neighbor, just like a firefighter, runs into the fire in the house to investigate, and shortly after, he's shouting to her that she needs to get paramedics to the house ASAP. Yeah, Brittany is still alive at this point, but she is literally barely hanging on, and in a situation like this, every second counts yeah. to get help there, you know? So police and paramedics arrive in minutes and they quickly rush Brittany to the hospital. And Diane is on the phone immediately calling her family, reaching out to her children, telling them what, what had just happened. And they were all rightfully fearful that Brittany would not make it. Yeah. So Brittany's rushed to the hospital and Brittany's family shows up and they're initially really confused. They're like, hey, we're here to see Brittany Marcel, but there's no one at the hospital under that name. The fuck? Now, I haven't heard of this happening before, but this is like super brilliant. For Brittany's safety, they had logged her in under a different name when they took her to the hospital. Oh. And I thought that this was an incredible instinctual call because while Brittany was in the hospital, a mysterious man came in to visit her. Oh the, no! The family was unaware and not expecting anyone to come there other than immediate family, especially of a male. She's got one brother, and her dad, who was a truck driver, wasn't anywhere near Albuquerque. Oh no! And so they're like,
1: "What the fuck?" <laughs> so the person came in and asked for Brittany. As for Brittany Marcel, but they had her under a different name, so they didn't like tell them where correct. they where she was. That is genius,
0: so genius. And so they're coming to the family, being like, "Hey, this guy showed up asking for Brittany for her, yeah." And the man left before he could be identified, right? So at this point, the family is not only just racking their brains on who else would have come to visit Brittany but who would even want to do this to her she was the sweet overachieving you know young girl. girl young girl um who the hell would want to do this so immediately they're trying to put this puzzle together as best they can but for the time being Brittany's medical state is beyond fragile yeah Doctors were not optimistic about Brittany's survival. She had been struck in the head with the shovel so hard that it crushed the left side of her skull. Oh, shit.
1: Oh, my and God.
0: Just brutal. And sisters even state that her head was so swollen it was the size of a basketball.
1: Wow.
0: I just could not imagine
1: like it sounds terrible and then you think of the actual instrument that was used that it was a shovel and it's it's hard to imagine how hard you would have to strike something to cause that amount of damage and it's like a shovel of all things right you know
0: exactly I mean not a light instrument but you definitely still have to use a fair amount of force.
1: Absolutely. Cause it's not a hammer and you know, it's not, it's not something meant to strike meant to cause damage like that. Oh gosh. That's horrible.
0: Exactly. Now the family could see Brittany, but Brittany is obviously unaware of her surroundings. She's more or less in a coma. Sure. You know, at this point. Um, They were even more unsure about her outcome when homicide detectives show up to the hospital to talk to the family. So they're sitting there like, okay, the police are already treating this as a homicide. We need to be prepared that she is not going to survive this attack, which is such a helpless feeling when you're looking at your loved one laying in a hospital bed, hooked up to God even knows how many monitors, just watching them breathe. You know, and making sure that their heart rate is still,
1: yeah,
0: at an appropriate Alive. level on that. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's just so hard to imagine because she's just so young. To you know, like, where does your mind go? Who could have done this? Right. Yeah.
0: So while they're in the hospital with Brittany, an investigation is obviously already underway. Detective Jason Morales was one of the leading detectives for this brutal crime. And him and his team determined, given that Brittany's purse and her sunglasses were in the entryway when she was found, that that suggested to them that the attacker had probably come up behind her when she oh, entered mm-hmm. the home. Okay. You know, unlocked the door, walked in. This person must have been waiting, and then struck her from behind. Yeah. Detective Morales was also pretty confident that this was not a burglary gone wrong. Um, They suspected that the attacker was either there specifically for Brittany or somebody else in the family because nothing Uh else was missing. Her purse wasn't missing. That that sort of thing kind of led them to that conclusion. And given the brutal nature of the attack, it just seemed far too personal for it to have been... burglary right now the crime scene was like a treasure trove of evidence there was blood everywhere from britney it was on the shovel it was on the floor there was duct tape left behind and even the knife that the attacker had chased britney's mom out of the home with they had dropped that and left that behind Uh, Detective Morales also believed that the attack had just happened when Diane arrived. Morales notes that there was a trail of blood, which was likely from the shovel, that seemed to come from the attacker that led to the front door. So like when Diane fled, the attacker had chased her, her. Mm -hmm. but then stopped. The trail stops at the front door, so they never ran out the front.
1: And then it seemed
0: like the attacker just, like, purely panicked. And this part is a little comical to me. Um, They didn't just leave by then turning around and going through a side door. They actually jumped through and broke the glass window in the dining room. The fuck? Like a... Like a jackass scene or a cartoon character, they're like, "Nope, I'm not going to go out through that easy sliding door. I'm just going to launch myself right through this dining room." Yeah,
1: just sounds like a bad decision. Last, no thought. Exactly, panic. Just panic leaving.
0: Yeah, totally. Now, like I said, there was so much evidence at the crime scene that Detective Morales thought that there was a good chance that the case would just solve itself, you know, with fingerprints, DNA, whatever. So they fingerprinted the scene and the evidence. But unfortunately, when the lab results came back, all the fingerprints they recovered were inconclusive. They were either partials or they just didn't have matches in the database for them. So the fingerprints pretty much left them. Led them nowhere. Sure. There was also a lot of blood on the shovel and on the knife. And when they ran that through forensics, they were able to determine that the blood did belong to a male suspect, oh. but it was so mixed in with Brittany's DNA that it was mm. impossible to just single it out. Yeah. So they at least know that they're looking for a male. But right. Not really much else forensics wise is leading them in a, in a productive direction. Now that was until they found one single drop of blood on a broken piece of glass from the dining room window. Okay. So they took this in, it was analyzed and a full profile was developed. But when the, but when they uploaded the DNA profile to the national database CODIS
1: mm-hmm.
0: they came up with nothing okay. so this individual had never committed a crime that, that they've been least, caught for <laughs> that they've been caught for exactly <laughs> right. and so detective Morales is stunned he thought this would have been done by someone who had committed a crime like that this knew before. what they were doing yeah. exactly so they're on the hunt for Brittany's attacker. Their first suspect was a guy that Brittany had been dating at the time, but he was quickly eliminated when his DNA didn't match. Now, what they do have working in their favor is they do have Brittany's mom, Diane, as an eyewitness. She did get right. eyes on the attacker. And from my understanding, he um, was not wearing a mask. So she did get a look at his face. And Diane described describes his height, him wearing jeans, a long sleeve shirt, being darker complected Caucasian or like a light skin Hispanic and brown spiky hair. So they took That's this description. It, it is a lot. She, she got a lot of good information, but when you really look at all of that, like very generic, Yeah. like how many men in that New Mexico. area, right.
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's hard unless he's like extremely tall and would stand out or, you know, something along those lines. But I can't imagine like being in that scenario, almost like a car accident. Like you think about it back in slow motion, trying to remember all these details. And it's hard. Your brain, mm-hmm. it's it's a finicky thing to try and remember all those details.
0: Totally. Most um, definitely. So they took Diane's description of... um. This physical description of this male, they put it out on billboards and they built a sketch off of it, but it dug up absolutely no leads, frustratingly enough. And the family home at this point, you know, is an active crime scene. Like the family can't really go back and resume their lives in this house. So Diane temporarily moves into a rental, but the Marcel family is still living a very, very on edge life because they had no idea who attacked Brittany. Right. Were they really after someone else in the family? Had this person been following them, knowing their routines? You know, how much did this person really know about the family and specifically Brittany? Right. And what an unsettling feeling.
1: (laughs) Honestly, that's scary when, I mean, just to not know, are they coming back? Did they come with to get, did they get what they came for? Like what, who is this person? You don't know who to trust. Not at all. Yeah.
0: So back to the hospital with Brittany, the family rotated shifts with Brittany in her unconscious state. And they were, you know, understandably so, just flat out exhausted being amongst doctors who were not very optimistic about Brittany's condition (sighs) And then on top of that, the constant police presence, their questions, not knowing if her attacker was going to try to return to the hospital or the house again. And on all accounts, Brittany's outcome was not looking good. But then miraculously, six weeks after her attack, Brittany opened her eyes.
1: Wow. Could
0: not even begin to imagine the emotions surrounding. Oh my gosh! That moment, her sisters do note that Brittany's once bright blue eyes were now gray and full of fear. It's almost like this attack just totally sucked the life out of her yeah. and her personality. And took one of her, her light.
1: Her, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: <laughs> That's so funny because one of her sisters literally said, "Oh my god, he took your light."
1: Oh.
0: So, so sad. And while Brittany was in the hospital, she would go on to have multiple surgeries, like in the range of twenty.
1: Wow, different
0: surgeries to save her life. One of them involved r- removing part of her brain. She also caught meningitis when she was in the hospital. Oh my goodness. And that alone almost killed her. But by Christmas of that year, three months after her attack, the family was told that Brittany would survive.
1: Aww.
0: What an amazing Christmas gift. Oh my
1: God, Christmas miracle for sure.
0: Literally. But now they're kind of faced with this question of what does Brittany's life or her quality of life look like now after this? Like, yeah, she's survived and her eyes are open and she's breathing, but what is that quality of life going to look like for right. her? So at this point, Brittany could blink and like kind of form a smile on her face, but it wasn't oh. this big, beautiful smile that she once had. And she would endure some lifelong injuries. Her left ear canal was crushed and would leave her deaf in that ear. And then her optic nerve was severed in her left eye as well, leaving her blind in that eye. Wow. And then from her surgery, from removing the dead tissue from her brain, it would be unknown what this may or may not affect long term. Is it going to affect her speech, her motor skills, yeah. her memories? All the you cognitive know? stuff. Yeah, the laundry list of of things that that everybody knows how to do. Oh,
1: poor thing.
0: And she even had a really hard time, like holding her head up. You know, she would kind of sit there her head kind of slouched, drooling on herself. She couldn't shower. She couldn't use the bathroom by herself. And her family is praying at this point that this is not what the rest of her life would look like. You know, you're, you're so, I can imagine the family is so relieved that she's alive but then at the same time, you're looking at the shell of somebody who once right. was,
1: you don't want them to suffer or to be in pain or not be able to say that they're in pain or something like that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So after about five months, Brittany's condition had stabilized enough that she was released released from the hospital, but her road to recovery had only
1: just begun.
0: Yeah. And with all this, Brittany was having a hard time understanding why she was having to relearn all all of these things all over mm-hmm. again, which that would be so heartbreaking. You know, the walking, the eating, the talking, et cetera. And Brittany's vulnerable state was also still a concern for the family because she was now an easy, an easier target if the attacker wanted to come back and finish the job, right. you know, so the family decided to leave Albuquerque and they moved to Texas for Brittany's safety. Oh, wow. And kind of for their own peace of mind sure. also. So they started to build a whole new life and they found a rehab facility for Brittany. Um, Brittany continued to struggle accepting her condition But Lori Wright, who was the therapist at this rehab facility, helped Brittany work through um, techniques called cognitive behavioral therapy. And they would basically take one skill and work on it over and over again to essentially rebuild a new brain. Right. And this method was used a lot for trauma patients, just like Brittany. Now, Brittany's injuries were so severe that her her therapy basically looked like a preschool class. Yeah. You know, you're learning your numbers. Started from the beginning. You're learning your ABCs. Um, Brittany's mom said that uh, Brittany would read her Dr. Seuss books to her. Um, She had essentially lost about 25% of her brain. Oh, shit. From the surgeries that she had. And there were definitely reservations about how far Brittany would recover. You know, like you said, you start fresh, you start at the beginning and you try to rebuild off of that. But then it's an, it's an unknown area of when does that rebuilding stop? Does it stop, you know? And with all of that, Brittany's memory was a delicate area. Um, According to the therapist, Lori Wright, people with these types of injuries often don't regain memories but it's not entirely impossible. Sure. It's just an unknown. Now, if Brittany's memory did return, it would be really, really, really crucial evidence in the case. Sure. Because they're kind of at a standstill right now. They don't wow. they have, have no a positive leads. check for DNA. They've kind of looked at a couple people, but don't really have a whole lot. And with that whole area of memories regaining, they were really, really careful about how they talked about that night with Brittany because oh. there's a chance of creating false memories. That's true. You know, and yeah. you don't want to
1: unintentionally
0: build a story that doesn't exist. I mean,
1: that happens to people that have 100% of their brains. So yeah. Totally. I mean, people are are susceptible to that.
0: A hundred percent building false
1: memories. Yeah.
0: Now, after about a year of intense therapy, Brittany overcame just about every obstacle you can imagine, and just blew people away, including her therapist. There's there's an interview with Lori Wright, and I mean, she is just like in tears, reliving Brittany's therapy and how far she came. Today, Brittany can talk, she can walk, she what? can dress and feed herself. And she is seemingly a normal girl, despite some of her like physical ailments, sure. you know. Um, and to see and hear her is truly a miracle. Wow. It is it is unbelievable to see her today and know what she went through and that she is Doing all of the things—that's
1: great that she's doing. I'm sure that took a lot of work, a whole team around her to get her back to that point. Just resilient and her own determination. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Now, Brittany's memories definitely were affected. She talks about not having a whole lot of memories from her high school years and very little Mm. from like the middle school area but she remembers a lot of her younger childhood. So a lot of recent memories were very, very fuzzy. And the injuries did leave her with um, a different personality. And I don't know if this was necessarily just trauma from having like emotionally gone through the experience or if the actual physicality of the injuries caused this. But her family talks about her being like much more reserved and quiet and not this like outgoing, bubbly, vivacious
1: young lady that she once was. Sure. It's a combination of both. I mean, totally. That's just hard. I definitely agree.
0: And as Brittany recovered, there's still this underlying fear within her that she wasn't safe from her attacker, even though she was living in a completely new state. Wow. You know, so the police are still on the hunt. Um, As Brittany continued to improve, police still hold out hope that she would be able to help them identify her attacker one day. They did end up showing her the sketch that they came up with from Diane's description. And she does say that it looks familiar to her, but she couldn't identify who it was.
1: Oh, that's so close. So close.
0: So close to something. And so, again, not to create false memories or anything like that, but Brittany's sisters are trying to help with, like, looking through old yearbooks and looking Mm. at people Mm -hmm. on Facebook. Maybe something somewhere will pop up a light bulb. In, in yeah. Brittany's memory, you know, but still, even this tactic doesn't dig up much. Um, the family would end up giving police about thirty potential suspects.
1: Wow, but everything led to a dead end. Damn, that sounds um, not in a, in a bad way, desperate, but just like here's you know all the guys that at least meet these standards. You know, totally. Mm. This
0: is who she hung around. They like hell, kind of just. There's yes. a
1: list. Oh, that's hard.
0: Absolutely. Now, two years would go by, and the detectives are starting to get really, really anxious about solving this case. Sure. Because although there was no statute of limitations on murder in New Mexico, there was a statute of limitations on attempted murder. Mm. And I believe okay. that falls like kind of in like a four or five year range. So they're halfway
1: mm. the statute of limitations blows my mind when it I comes know. to things like this when it comes to sexual assault rape yes. when it comes to uh you know child uh, essay materials as well like all these things some of them should not just simply should not have statute of limitations
0: i agree you did
1: something so bad that there should not be Say You know, there should not be a clock where if you hide well enough for this amount of time, mm-hmm. you're in the fucking clear. Exactly. That irks the hell out of me because I'm like, totally. this person could just go into a bunker for four or five years. Right. And even if they know who it is, if they can't actually find them and bring them in and that time runs out, mm-hmm. you're absolutely fucked. And then that family never gets any closure. Nothing. No justice. No nope. closure. No confirmation that it was or it wasn't this person. It just it just blows my mind that there's statute of limitations on things that are so egregious, such as attempted murder. Exactly. It, it just it's crazy. Totally. I
0: one thousand percent agree. Off with my soapbox. <laughs> no, you stay on that soapbox. I I will clap and cheer you on. I could not that agree is crazy. more with that. So Detective Morales decides to turn to District District Attorney David Wehmeyer. He um, had a lot of experience working on cold cases, and Morales really needed help on how to get creative around this case with this ticking clock. So David Wehmeyer proposes indicting the blood sample DNA that they had from that shard of glass as a John Doe sample. okay. This was, (laughs) um, (laughs) so this was a move that they wouldn't sure would work because it had never been tested out in state court, but it was worth a shot. And when you indict a DNA sample as a John Doe, an unknown person, there's no statute of limitations on it. It, Oh, um, And I was really trying to find kind of all the parameters that fall around it. But from my understanding, what it sounds like is we have this DNA sample that we know belongs to somebody who committed a crime. We're not submitting this as a attempted murder, you know, nothing having to do with that, but we have this DNA sample of someone that we know committed a crime. So we're going to submit this as an unknown in the off chance that hopefully and unhopefully, but for this case, hopefully that they commit a crime down the road in the future. And we have this blood sample to identify this person.
1: So, so they set up the bear trap like, Hey, listen, we know we're so sure that this blood belongs to the perpetrator Mm -hmm. that we are putting our money on it. That should we be able to identify who this blood belongs to later on. Exactly, We've already said whoever it belongs to is who we're charging. Exactly. But, I mean and that's reasonable. It,
0: and it is. It when is you reasonable. You have nothing else.
1: Mm-hmm. Put a bookmark on that blood stain. Exactly. We'll come back to it. Okay. And I guess
0: you know, just as we're talking aloud about it, what it what kind of comes up in my mind is. Let's say you have a murder victim and you haven't been able to identify them. You know, they're a Jane Doe, you have a hair sample or whatever, you know, you you now have that logged into a database with this DNA and hopefully down the road, we are able to identify this person. So it sounds like any DNA sample submitted under a Jane Doe or a John Doe. There's no statute of limitations on it because your hope is to be able to identify them down the yeah. road at some point, not to necessarily convict them for the crime at hand. But, but you just said they I,
1: indicted that drop of blood, right? So mm-hmm. that would say, that, that, so indicting someone would be, you know, bring them in for an arrest. So they're indicting whoever that blood belongs to without knowing who it belongs to yet. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's so, that's wild. That's a, that's something. It's a
0: little bit of a hail mary. Better than but it's nothing. Really, it's better than nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, like I said, or maybe I didn't get to this part yet. This was a move that they wouldn't sure would work because it had never been tested out in state court, but it was mm-hmm. still worth a shot. So David uh, waymeyer went ahead with the indictment, and a few more years would go by, and unfortunately, the case was. No closer oh, no. to being solved. So Brittany's family is getting a little anxious. They're frustrated, you know? Yeah. And we're now in 2012. So four years after mm-hmm. Brittany's attack and Brittany's mom, Diane, comes to Sergeant Liz Thompson, who was Detective Morales' boss, and said that she wanted to have some new items on the case. She wanted Detective Morales taken off. She wanted someone new to take over. And so the case was reassigned to veteran homicide detective Jody Gonterman. And this woman, if I ever had a loved one who was attacked or somebody was assigned to their case, this is the detective that you want on that case. She is a go-getter. She she is relentless. She is innovative. She is creative. She is the type of person that you know is not going to sleep yeah. until the case is solved. Yeah. And she immediately gets up to date on Britney's case and she just hits the ground running. Kind of starts from scratch, square one. Yeah. Um, and the family is just purely rejuvenated. Yeah, I bet this woman and the hope that she would be able to solve this case. So Detective Gonterman starts by doing a deep dive into Brittany's past before the attack. Who did she hang out with? Who was in her phone? What were her personal relationships like at that time? And Sergeant Thompson and Detective Gonterman put a put the sketch back out to the public that Diane had come up with and reintroduced the case to the local media, hoping to stir up some information four years later. And right away, some tips start coming in with potential leads. Um, The first one was a neighbor to Brittany who had a criminal past and he ironically had moved to Colorado during the time of the investigation So they were able to track him Mm. down and get a DNA sample from him. But unfortunately, it didn't match.
1: Mm. Hey, at least they ruled it out. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, looks a
0: little sus. Hey, you're a neighbor with a criminal past and you just decide to relocate a couple states away. Yeah. During the first part of the investigation.
1: Yeah.
0: And then one of the other tips that they got came from a mom who came forward to say that she thought her son could have been the attacker.
1: Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Just going to blow the whistle on your own kid. Um, she thought that based off of the sketch that it looked a lot like her son. And I don't know, obviously this kid or Damn. young man or man must have had some sort of a past, but again, they got a DNA sample and that excluded him as well. Wow. And they're kind of left standing in no better spot than they were before. Their tip line wasn't paying off. And Oof. it's time to start getting a little bit more creative about the case. And that is where we are going to end part one yeah. on Brandy Marcel.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm excited to see what they what they try. So that's um. That's cool. My brain's very... already working. I'm like trying to figure out what they're gonna try, especially in what 2012 you said? Yeah. So, you know, it's not it's not 1960. So no, it's, it's not. not. Okay, cool. Well, I'm it excited. Very innovative.
0: Very innovative. Okay,
1: okay. Uh let's see here. So we are going to try and put out part two for patreon sooner than we would out um to everyone else i hope you guys are liking that Uh, when we have two partners i like to um we like to put them out so you don't have to wait for them if you're on patreon and speak patreons to thank for joining our patreon uh community um and they're both in the murder lovers club so we've got first up jen fuller hi jen Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jen. And we've also got Danielle. Oh, I think it's, I'm just going to say Danielle L. Because I don't want to butcher your last name. Danielle, (laughs) thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks, Danielle. Um, We appreciate you guys coming on to Patreon. So um, it is going to, you'll probably have a little bonus episode sometime this week. Hell yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. I am excited to hear part two. Um, And I don't have to wait, suckers. No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bonus of uh, being one of the halves of the podcast. That's true. (laughs) Um, So I will, uh, we will see you guys next week. Happy holidays. Yes. Uh, Happy end of the year-ish. We'll see you in the new year. Is that right?
0: Yeah, we will truly see you in the new year because part two will probably come out on or around New Year's Day, which That's is right.
1: crazy. Oh, yeah. So this is Christmas. Today is Christmas. Yeah. If you're in the U.S. or anywhere else in the world, if you're on the tw- at the 25th and you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. Merry
0: Christmas. And
1: then we'll see you guys In the 2024.
0: I know. We're living in the future Ah, today. Wild. So wild. All All
1: right, right, guys.
0: Don't be a stranger. We will catch you next week. bye. Bye.